Well, good morning, everyone. It uh, really is lovely to be with you. It's a joy to be here. It's the first time I've been. I've been, uh, I come along oh, every 12 or 18 months uh, to go to the, one of your back rooms where I speak to the, uh, the Torch Fellowship for the Blind. Uh, but I've never actually been here in the main church. So it's, it's lovely to be with you this morning. Uh, first of all, perhaps I could just say one or two things. Uh, I'm from Dewsbury Evangelical Church, a uh, church that is probably slightly bigger than yours here, certainly slightly bigger in congregation. We have about 130, 140 props on a, a Sunday morning and uh, probably a lot less in the evening, but maybe 50 perhaps in an evening, something like that. One or two, of course, we still have uh, opportunities to stream in. So there are one or two people who take the opportunity uh, who are not able to get along can stream in as well and, and hear the sermons. Um, I'm not very clever to, uh, I'm not clever enough to have gone to the Hebrew text. So I'm a, a Mordecai man this morning. Uh, and the other thing I noticed, of course, you use the ESV. I'm not very familiar with the ESV, and I noticed just one thing. I noticed, I think, the king in the ESV is called Ahasuerus. Well, you'll find that I will refer to him as Xerxes, because it depends what language you're using. And, of course, I should be quoting from, if I do quote any verses at all, it will be from the uh, New International Version, the NIV. I guess we... We all have personal memories of important events in our lives. We celebrate birthdays, don't we? Although as we get older, I guess we uh, uh, not so much. Uh, uh, and of course, wedding anniversaries too. And maybe if you are familiar perhaps uh, with exactly the time when, you, uh, when God dealt with you in a very special way, or uh, when you became a Christian, when you responded to the gospel and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation. Perhaps you remember that time during the year as well. John Wesley, for instance, uh, uh, remembered his time very much. He remembered a, a time when he visited a place called Aldersgate Street in London. It was on, he could remember not only the date, which was May the 24th, 1738, but he could actually remember the time, a quarter to nine in the evening. Because he said, he said I very, in his journal, he said, I very reluctantly went along to Aldersgate Street. Uh, and there a man got up and spoke from the preface that Martin Luther had written to the letter to the Romans. And he said, as the man spoke about how God changes people's hearts when they put their faith in Christ, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And so that was ingrained in his mind. But of course, sadly, of course, there are other times when, which are not so pleasant, I suppose, remembering maybe the, the death of loved ones or, or close friends. And then, of course, in the Christian calendar, times are set aside, aren't they, for celebration, 
and remembrance. Uh, not only a few weeks ago, we were celebrating Christmas, uh, a time when Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world as a baby. And soon it will be Easter, uh, when we will remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the Old Testament, too, there are a number of occasions when memorials were set up. Do you remember the time when uh, Jacob had that vision uh, at a place called Bethel? Uh, and uh, where uh, he had that dream of, of a stairway uh, stretching up to heaven with the, the Lord uh, standing above it. And uh, he set up uh, a stone to remind him of what had happened there, how God had spoken to him. And again, uh, uh, Joshua set up stones at a place called Gilgal when they crossed the Jordan. In the future, he said, uh, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on the dry ground. And of course, most important, I guess, for Jewish people, the remembrance of the Passover, uh, when uh, the Lord brought them out of Egypt to journey towards the promised land of Canaan. Now, as we come to these last chapters of the book of Esther, the book that you have been studying over the last few weeks, uh, another festival is established, the Feast of Purim. Uh, this was perhaps one of the main purposes of the book of Esther, to, to explain how this festival became part of the Jewish calendar. It was a time of celebration, uh, to remember how, as verse 22 of chapter 9 says, uh, the Jews got relief from their enemies, their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into celebration. It was to be a day or days of feasting and joy, of giving presents of food to one another and, and gifts to the poor. And like the Passover, it was to be a perpetual feast. As verse 28 says, the days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews. Now, a little bit more about the Feast of Purim in a minute, but let's uh, remind ourselves very briefly in this last study what prompted Mordecai and Queen Esther, uh, the, as it were, the, the hero and heroine of this uh, story, uh, what prompted them to inaugurate this annual feast? Of Purim. And perhaps it would be good for us. Some of, perhaps some of you haven't been here every week. And so perhaps it's, it's good for us to just refresh our memories again. Just a, basically, just a summary of what has gone on before. You might remember that a man called Haman had found favor with Xerxes, the Persian king. And Xerxes honored that man above all the other nobles of the realm. Significantly, uh, Haman was 
an Agagite, uh, which meant almost certainly that he was an Amalekite. Uh, the Amalekites were enemies of the Jews. Right back in the, the days of Moses, this command was given uh, by Moses uh, to the people of Israel. Let me just read it to you, what was said. Remember, said Moses to the people of Israel, what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you, to possess as an inheritance, you shall not blot out the name of, Amalek, of Amalek from under the, sorry, you shall blot out uh, the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. So the Amalekites were great enemies of the Jews. Uh, so I guess it's no surprise when we see what this man Haman did and wanted to do. Uh, it seems he took an instant uh, dislike to Mordecai, the cousin who had brought up Esther, simply because Mordecai would not kneel and pay him honor. And Haman was so enraged that we're told in chapter 3 this, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Did it, uh, instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. To decide when this should be done, Haman cast what was known as the poor, uh, a form of lot to determine a course of action. Uh, poor was, it was not a Hebrew word. Uh, it was a, almost an Assyrian word. Uh, and we're not quite sure what, uh, what form it took, uh, but it was probably something like either drawing straws or maybe uh, throwing a, a pebble or a stone like a, a dice. Um, Haman, it seems, then went to the gullible king Xerxes and persuaded him that a decree should be issued to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews in his kingdom on a dedicated day, a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the, day, the month of Adar. I won't go into more detail because of time, but suffice it to say that Mordecai strongly persuaded Esther to intervene, Haman's evil plot was exposed, and he was executed by impaled on the very pole that he directed for Mordecai. But there was still a problem, and this is where we, we take up the story now in Esther chapter 8, uh, which we're looking at this morning, chapter 8 onwards. Although Mordecai was 
given great honor, appointed Haman's, uh, over Haman's estate, and become second in rank to King Xerxes, the decree, the original decree that had been written by Haman and sealed by the king's signet ring still stood. Because in Persia, uh, at the, as the end of verse 8 of chapter 8 tells us, no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring could be revoked. The decree was irrevocable. Uh, in short, the Jews were still facing annihilation because that decree could not be altered. Uh, the most that could be done to, to counter such a decree was to, to write another one. Uh, but of course, the original decree would still be operative. Therefore, once again, Esther was called upon to take her life into her hands to beseech the king to issue a second decree, which would allow the Jews to defend and protect themselves on the very same day that the original decree gave permission for the enemies to attack and destroy them. Thankfully, Esther found favor with Xerxes and the second decree was issued accordingly. As a result, of course, when the Jews heard this, there was great joy uh, and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebration. And so the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, arrived. And on, as verse 1 of chapter 9 tells us, on this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. It was helped to some extent, of course, by two other factors. First of all, we're told that many of the people of other nationalities, because of the fear of the Jews, had actually... Um, First of all, we're told that many of the, yes, many of the nation, other nationalities became Jews because the fear of the Jews had seized them. Now, I don't think that uh, that means that they were afraid of the Jews uh, or feared that uh, there would be Jewish aggression, uh, but, but they recognized, I think, in the Jews that they had, the Jews had defi divine favor and protection. And the other reason why I think the Jews were helped to gain the upper hand was, of course, that all were told, all the nobles and the provinces of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators gave assistance to the Jews. But even so, it seems there were considerable opposition. And obviously, there was still the enemies thought that they were going to be able to attack the Jews and annihilate them. And we're told because the Jews were able to protect themselves 
and fight back. We're told that 75,000 of their enemies were killed in the provinces and 800 in the capital, Susa. And so, to remember this marvellous victory, Queen Esther and Mordecai established the Feast of Purim, <coughs> named after, of course, the original casting of the poor, P-U-R, by Haman. Purim is simply the plural of poor. It was to be a perpetual feast to celebrate how the Jews had got relief from the enemies when Haman's plan was thwarted. And of course, the, the Feast of Purim is still celebrated by Jews today, all over the world. Celebrated in the spring, uh, a month before Passover, uh, and this year falls on the 24th of March. So the Feast of Purim is coming up when Jews will celebrate this wonderful victory that the Jews had in the time of Esther and Mordecai. For the Jews, and especially Jewish children, it was very much a fun day. Uh, uh, it's very much when they, they often dress up as different characters in the story of Esther. Every time uh, Haman's mentioned, name is mentioned, hissing and booing, the stamping of feet and the waving of rattles drown it. Now I can imagine it'd be quite chaotic if you were there in a synagogue and heard this on the Feast of Purim. This great noise as the name of Haman is mentioned. Uh, whereas every mention of Mordecai is greeted with cheering. So it, it really is quite a, 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 a feast and, and time of celebration. Pastry is sometimes called Haman's ears or Haman's pockets uh, are eaten. Children take gifts uh, of food to the elderly. And the day is spent in what is altogether a party atmosphere. Well... What can we learn as we've been looking at the, uh, this book of Esther? Uh, we can learn many things, of course, uh, described here. But perhaps there was two things in particular, and I guess probably these two things may well have been mentioned already because it's running right through uh, this book of Esther. But the first thing, the obvious thing, and it's already been mentioned, I think, in the prayer time we have this morning, where God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Although his name is not mentioned in the book, we're conscious that he, the unseen God, is working his purposes out. Uh, we see his wonderful love and care for his chosen people, Israel. The providence of God can be seen in so many so-called coincidences uh, that happened, which resulted in the Jews' salvation. For example, Esther is there uh, in the right place at the right time when Vashti, the previous queen, is deposed and when Haman's evil plans come to light. 
When King Xerxes can't sleep, he asks for the historical records to be read, and, and they happen to fall open at the page that highlighted Mordecai's role as the one who foiled an evil, evil plot against the king. And then as the king considers what to do, it just ha so happens that Haman is standing outside and the resulting honour to Mordecai fuels Haman's anger. And so we see the, the wonderful providence of God on behalf of his people. And, uh, and of course, it still happens today uh, for those who love him and have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. God is always at work in the lives of his people. Uh, God is always at work. The seeming coincidences in our lives are not mere chance. Everything that happens, God allows or ordains. Uh, there, and of course, because we love him, if we are Christians and we love him, we put our trust in Christ, then these things that happen to us are for our good. We don't realize it sometimes. Sometimes these so-called coincidences defy human explanation and reasoning. And so I guess for us today, as we consider our future, and perhaps we, we look at our world in which we live, and so easily we can become anxious and wonder what's going to happen. What's going to happen to the world with all these wars and all the things that are happening? What's going to happen in this country which has turned away from the Lord? It's wonderful Christian heritage. And yet, basically, people have turned away from God in this sad world, sad country in which we live. But let's remember... If we have put our trust in the Lord, then God cares for us, has our lives in his hands, and is working his purposes out until we get to heaven and we see the Lord face to face. But in the meantime, while we're here in this world, the Lord has given us so many promises. I will never leave you, nor forsake you, he says. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's how much I care for you, says the Lord. All things work together for good to those who love God. If the Lord gave up his son to come and to die for us on the cross, that, then how much more is he going to give us all things, things that are going to be good for us. So much does he love us and care for us. The second thing that comes out of this story, again, is something probably maybe that uh, and we've mentioned it uh, uh, and touched on it earlier is this, the importance of remembering. The importance of remembering. Here in Esther Mordecai's concern was that God's deliverance of his people would be carefully remembered. 
that those who would pass through these harrowing experiences should never forget what God has done for them. And right through the Bible, of course, we're commanded to do the same. You read the Psalms, and the psalmists continually remind us to do that. The, um, David, for instance, in Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. When Moses was uh, addressing the people of Israel before they uh, crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land, um, this is what he said to them. He said, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promises on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And of course, for us who are Christians, we should never forget what God has done for us. Most important, of course, for us, if we're Christians, is the, the remembrance of God's wonderful grace, that gracious gift of forgiveness and salvation because of what Jesus did when he laid down his life on the cross how he took the punishment that we deserve. How he shed his precious blood that we might be redeemed so that we might be reconciled to God. Never forget is the Bible, is the Bible's instruction. It's no wonder that Paul, when he entered Corinth for the first time, he could have said, well, um, uh, I'll, I'll, perhaps I'll hold a seminar uh, uh, to, so that people there in Corinth can say what they believe and I can say what I believe and, and so on. Uh, no, he didn't do that. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach. And I'm simply going to say uh, that he, and the the. The content of his preaching was very simply this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in order, of course, to, to keep that sacrifice always in our minds, in other words, not to forget, Jesus appointed what we know as the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, do this in remembrance of me is his command. When we take the bread and drink the wine, we remember his broken body and his shed blood. Just like the, the Jews in the book of Esther, we remember a great deliverance. Well, uh, time has gone. We must close.
Although there's uh, no mention of God in this lovely book of Esther, he was the, the unseen God working his purposes out. What spiritual blessings are there uh, when we look into his word with a desire to hear him speaking to us.